This is Game Theory, our podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we cheat our way into college. This is our fourth installment of The Fraudster Files. Remember, you can rank The Fraudster with us at the end of the show and participate in the episode by answering our poll question and posting in the episode thread if you listen on Spotify. For the children of wealthy and or powerful parents, getting into college is maybe tougher than you'd think. The amount of money you'd need to donate just to get your kid into a college like Yale or Stanford would be at least $50 million, maybe more. That's called the back door. The other option is to simply gain legitimate admissions, the front door. But in the early 2010s, a washed up assistant basketball coach named William Rick Singer found a side door, university athletics. By bribing the coaches of non-revenue sports like sailing at UCLA, USC, Stanford, and Texas, he could sneak students into the college. The side door scheme was found out by the FBI by accident. And when the curtain was pulled back, the scope and the names involved became a global phenomenon. Welcome to episode 77 of Game Theory, podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Chris, it is, as I record this, raining outside. It's really coming down, and in lieu of the uh, Father's Day holiday that just passed, I'm going to say, we really needed this. Grass is smiling now. That's what our dad used to say, grass is smiling. Grass is smiling. We really needed this. The golf course, my local golf course, just aerated their greens, right? Just did all the holes in it, and now it's looking to water. It's going to be next weekend. It's going to be nice and mm, it's yeah, gonna, it's going to be, be setting up good for July. Also, that's exactly right. Also, happy Juneteenth, a, a federal holiday that we now as uh, an entire country recognize. And if your company makes you work on Juneteenth, which to me should be elevated to the exact same level as Memorial Day and Labor Day for three reasons. Reason number one is that uh, freeing the slaves is a pretty important situation in American history. Reason number two is it's a three-day weekend in the summer. And reason number three is it's a three-day weekend in the summer. Yeah, I, I think it's it's extremely important, obviously, as a holiday. Correct. And it, it is very surprising to me that this isn't... It, it's, it's surprising to me that we had to wait until 2021 sure. for this holiday to happen. I mean, it, it was... It represented the first official closing of the ugliest and most horrific scar in our entire national character. And the healing process is long and ongoing, and it's likely to be long and ongoing. But we needed a holiday to commemorate the actual functional end of slavery. And I also think this sets us up to ask, start asking questions like, what's going on in early August? That literally... July, maybe? Is it time to add a fourth or a fifth national kind of patriotic summer holiday so we can have some nice balance because there's some time in there yep when it's late july correct we've been watching guys named trevor and juan spit sunflower seeds for six hours you could not have gotten that more correct yeah that's exactly nothing else is going on we're we're trying to pretend that we care about saudi arabian golf or whatever whatever that's right nothing's going on 
we need another holiday, I think, to, to psychologically prep ourselves for Labor Day so we can be ready for the, the start of the year. I, I think a lot of people get caught with their pants down on Labor Day, literally, probably, and figuratively. Mm. And I think it's it's time for, that America starts asking the question, why are we letting the dog days go by without installing another federal dog day? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I do want to critique the founding fathers of all of their vision and whatever... Uh, why celebrate America's birthday when we could just celebrate the first Monday in July? <laughs> well, I, I also want to give a huge shout out to Johnny Adams for oh July second spectacular swing and a miss on that one, dude. Biggest cold yeah. take of all time. That was yeah, that was like a solid ninety eight percent accuracy rate. <laughs> that from, was bad from him. And you know, you know, he's my favorite founding father. He's for not sure. my favorite president. He was not a great president. He was no. a, he was a president. He was he is is an extremely important legacy in handing on the power of the presidency peacefully after losing an election. But uh, he was my favorite founding father, and that's just one that he kind of got right. Uh, he Yeah, Almost. when he predicted that it was July 4th. So, yes, happy Juneteenth, happy Father's Day. We are doing a Fraudster Files. It has been a minute. If you'd like to play along with us, you can do that. We uh, will rank the stuff, the our categories at the end of the episode. I think this is our third or fourth one. I think it's our fourth one. Here are the categories. How smart were they? How successful were they? How lucky were they? How evil were they? Like, how bad was it? And how cunning were they? Like, how, how good were they at lying and pulling the wool over the, uh, people's eyes, etc. So with this one, my prediction is not quite Elizabeth Holmes, but no, maybe I, like I, around I think the level of malice here is generally quite a bit lower because <laughs> the, the game that our fraudster for this week was playing was, I, I don't want to say it was low stakes because I, I think that minimizes a lot of the pressure that's placed on kids to get into good colleges. Sure. But I will say that nobody... Nobody died Nobody as died. a result of of this guy's actions. People saw some jail time, even but even like the even the people who participated in this and and as a spoiler alert, more than fifty people have been charged yeah. as part of this big operation that this guy did. I, even those people who who really participated, they didn't serve a ton of jail time. They haven't served a ton of jail time. So I think this one's going to be a little bit lower level. It's going to be a little bit more fun. Yep. It has to do with sports. Sure. It has to do with big colleges. So people get to, we can, we can toss some spitballs at the elites here. I am predicting that for one of the hosts of the show, there could be some individual pride and or uh, just some blind accusations that, I mean, for one of us, this could get a little personal, which is going to get really fun for the other one of us. Um, I would guess we'll get to that in a minute. But I'm need to, <laughs> we, we, we might need to take a break during the middle of the show for me to collect my thoughts and wipe <laughs> the schadenfreude off my face. Uh, it's, uh, I'm super excited about that. But before we get to that, the book club has started. We have like five or six people, I think, which is fine. Um, I want it to be a million one day, but I'm going to do it. I'm holding myself to this. I'm going to, I've never been in a real book club and I'm going to do it online. I'm going to be the leader. Chris is also going to participate. We've downloaded the Fable app. There's a link in the description, the first book, The Swerve. So it has, I think, yep. 11 chapters and a preface and an epilogue in it. So that is nice and tidy. Three weeks, it is. It, four, it's, four it's chapters. It's going to be a nice, it, it, this is going to be a really quality, interesting read because Nick, you've picked a book. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. It's historically very significant. I just from reading the blurb and getting kind of cracking open the spine a little bit. It's historically significant, and it's also really literary mm-hmm. in the telling of the story. This is all, I don't want to say it's a thriller, but I mean, there's a real kind of human interest plot angle here. It's not like okay, let me explain the significance of it. Like, no, 
this is a real kind of discovery story. And so I think this is the perfect way to, to kick off the Game Theory Book Club. Yeah, and I, I, if I could brag about the book for a moment, in terms, it was one of the fa- favorite things I've ever read. I only remember like the blurb. I don't remember the facts. I remember like the kind of the gist, the gist of the situation. But I, it's very rare that a book written by a real professor will check two boxes. But this one actually checks three. Box number one is, was it popular? Box number two was, do your academic snooty people accept it as, as literature and as a significant a contribution to the discussion of, of academia? And this one actually does those two things. And box number three, which is critical acclaim from people that don't really care about medieval early Renaissance history. All three of these people are like, yeah, this is legit. This is a, it's incredibly popular and good. And the academics are like, this is all good. You're Gucci here. And the critical people are like, yeah, here's a Pulitzer Prize. So. Yeah, it's, it's an award-winning book. Yeah, I think it's about 10 years old now. If I, if, if 10, 12, serves. somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, The Swerve by Stephen Greenblatt. We're, <sighs> we're psyched to discuss this. We're psyched about the book club. So download the Fable app. Join us on there. Rep. Join Game Theory on, on the app. And get, get reading. Get reading, yes. Do, so, do what you say you're going to do every single yeah, summer and actually start reading books. Read till you're sunburned. Just kidding. Don't get sunburned. Melanoma is deadly and skin cancer is bad. But four chapters a week is doable. There are 11 chapters in the book and a preface in the epilogue is three weeks. Four, four, three. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it together. This is, think, think of, I mean, remember Barack Obama's slogans in 2007? No. I think he said, yes, we can. Yes, we can. I thought he was believe. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he had a lot of slogans. Yes, we can. Wasn't that like the women in the Victory Gardens in the 40s? Mm, was it? Yeah, with the, was the, that, the bandana. Is that, like we, is that like Rosie the Riveter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was we can do it. I mm. think that was... I'm not going to Google it. You can Google it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to Google it either. All right, somebody yeah, get mad at us. I'm sure someone will know what, what's going on. One more announcement. Uh, the 4th of July, America's birthday, da, 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 is on a Tuesday. We will not be dropping an episode. We might drop an old episode um, from more than a year ago, but we will not be doing a new episode for a couple of reasons. One is that we... I, that is going to be the busiest and most annoying week um, I've had in quite a while with a move, and it is just... I hate it every time, and I always find a way to move in the sweatiest part of the year, but here we are, um, super pumped. So that's that, but also it's a holiday, and we don't want to waste downloads, don't want to waste your time, and just we'll be back. We did this for the holidays as well. So no show, but we do have an exciting summer. We have a cruel summer. We are going to do a Taylor Swift episode. We are going to do a Swift episode. Come on, Player 3. We wouldn't leave you hanging like that. No, absolutely not. Cruel Summer, Chris's favorite song, allegedly. I'm sure he has heard it all the way through at least once. It's a great song. It is. Want to sing it real quick? It, well, no, I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> oh. no, it's, it's one of those ones where uh, I don't really listen to, I, I listen to albums, but yeah. you know, once I've listened to the entire album, I find the songs that I like and I just like play them on repeat. So sure, I ruin them. totally. Yeah, I'm not a Swifty in terms of like albums. I was an early level Swifty, but we're going to do a Taylor Swift episode. We're doing a Reddit episode. Reddit is burning down right now. And of all of the online communities that are going to stand their ground with something like Twitter just kind of bent over and took it from Elon. They're like, oh, we're not going to buy my blue check. And then they all did. Um, but Reddit, hundred percent, everyone, everyone that yeah. said they were going to leave there, there are studies that indicate that over 95% of the people that said we're leaving, we're going to go to Mastodon or whatever else, all those jerk offs stayed. Yeah. Yep. Honestly, if all Elon had done is come in and just like really kiss the ass of his employees, this would have been a non-story. <laughs> like, that's Truly. all you had to do. And, and it's because people have to insist like, Oh yeah. Well, we're not as addicted to Twitter as Elon, and they're just like can't get enough of the app. 
Yeah, no. It's, Twitter well, users are the most hardcore in the sense that they are the most dependent on the app. Yeah, they're not. They they're not participants in a community. They're users who need to continue to get their fix of getting, stupid, utterly vacuous nonsense. By the way, you can find us on Twitter, contributing <laughs> to that vacuous nonsense occasionally at Game Theory Pod. Totally, occasionally we tweet occasionally for sure. <laughs> It's in the it's in the episode notes. Also, so Reddit's burning down. We're gonna do one of those, and Taylor Swift is gonna be a fun summer. And then I, we did the state of sports last year. Maybe we'll do something similar this year. I liked the the idea of an academic calendar. I don't know. We're throwing around a lot of ideas. If you have an idea, you can email us. Lots of episodes. Taylor Swift is gonna be good. I know people are gonna get mad. I'm kind of excited for it. But that, that is gonna be a good one. Today we are talking about the college admissions scandal. It is Froster Files three or four. I don't remember. I think it's we've done. Elizabeth Holmes. It's four. Yeah, we've yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Holmes. The wine guy. We did Rudy. Firefest. Yeah, and Firefest and Rudy, what's his name? Yeah, the, yeah, wine, the guy. wine guy. The wine guy. So, college admissions scandal. Here is the bullet. This dude, who is one of those private academic coaches that rich parents hire to get their kids higher SAT scores and to get good AP classes to get into college for like tens of thousands of dollars, this guy found out that if you pretend like your, your kid is an athlete at a sport no one gives a shit about that you can sneak them into a college that they would otherwise have no shot at getting into. And he did this for, I think, a couple million dollars. And he did it at academic institutions that ought to be ashamed of themselves. Uh, most famously, the University of Pennsylvania and the University of Southern California. This opened up a Pandora's box, the first of which is that you said that the stakes were low. I would actually say that this, is, this fraud is a net positive for the country, net negative for the people in jail and the colleges, but for all of us, getting to laugh at elite schools who have been kind of uppity about this and to laugh at famous people for making their kids do shit that they clearly didn't want to do. This was actually really funny and much even, I think, even less evil than Firefest. This is objectively hilarious. Yeah, I, I think it's a very funny thing. And actually, there's reason to believe that some of the, the quote-unquote victims, uh -huh. as in the universities, they actually also ended this with a net positive. <laughs> yeah. The person that is at the heart of this scandal, the, the, the fraudster in this episode is a guy who's named William Rick Singer. Yeah. He, uh, he goes by Rick Singer. And this guy has a, a really interesting character. Nick, he reminds me of a certain former assistant football coach slash owner of a rhino linings business uh, slash failed political candidate slash grifter now. Sure. That reminds me. So there's, there's, there's vibes there. And for those of you who are not catching this reference, which is probably everybody else. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about Rick it. Rick Singer was a guy who looked for opportunity where he could find it and did what he could to be successful. It, it, this is a guy who is persistent. This is a guy who is totally unscrupulous, has no principles at all. And his path in life led him from being a, a high school and low-level college basketball coach to failing at that. Yep. To trying to to getting to know the ins and outs of college athletics and how the athlete the athlete recruiting process happens, how athletic departments work, how different sports within those departments use money, need money, need coaches, need recruits. And he found a way to turn that knowledge as a failed basketball coach into someone who was willing to offer a highly, highly sought after service, which is ultra wealthy people getting their children to attend elite universities. Now, you mentioned the University of Southern California is included with this. I think that's an insult to all of the other colleges that were implicated in this because <laughs> I, I don't know why a directional Starting school early, huh? is, is included in this list. But there's there's high demand for, for 
for students. All right, pause real quick like really because wealthy those, elite. Yeah, time people. out. We got to explain this because Chris well, went. Chris went to Notre Dame, and the USC jokes that are going to happen for the next forty-five minutes to an hour are because he went to Notre Dame. Now, if you don't know college football, Notre Dame and, and USC used to be rivals at football between nineteen seventy-five and two thousand and six, when uh, USC broke a rule to win a game, and then they were rivals once in like twenty twelve, and then once again in twenty seventeen. But the rivalry essentially was something that was not is. However, for the people involved in the rivalry, they are very much, very much, we're better than you, and everyone else is like, neither of you are better than either of you. It's just much more pleasant to hate on USC yeah. because they're not, I mean, could be Michigan. It could be, yeah, see, like that's... physically ill that would make about Michigan. Yeah, I, I'm sure that they're doing this, but no one cares because it's a state school. But this is... No, but, you, but USC is, uh, is, is implicated in this along sure. with uh, a lot of other very prominent universities and the the thing that ties together all of the all of the colleges and universities that Rick Singer included in this scandal to, to try to get the children of the ultra wealthy of the ultra elite even some celebrities to try to get into these schools the thing that ties them all together is prestige yep and there's a there's a documentary on Netflix about this it's called Operation Varsity Blues the college admissions scandal and the name comes from this this code-named operation that Rick Singer was at the center of, and it included athletic academic department liaisons at some of these universities. It included coaches of kind of lower-tier, lower-prominence athletics programs like water polo at USC or sailing at Stanford. And it included a lot of parents who were in on this sort of grift. And, and Nick, we can get into the, the explanation here, but really what's at the heart of this is high demand for people to have not necessarily the degree that comes along with going to XYZ University, but being able to brag about this. And, you know, right. as, as I was watching this, I, I took a note here that the, the the parents that are included in this, and you'll hear names like celebrities like Felicity Huffman, the very prominent people, they seemed to want to almost live vicariously through their kids or control their kids in a way that like, they, they wanted to be able to brag that, oh, yes, my daughter got into Yale. My son got into Pennsylvania. My adopted child that I never really loved very much and who was never really good at anything got into USC. Right. So they wanted to be able to, to tie their, their family names or their, their kids' names to going to these elite universities. And I think it speaks to both the detachment and... I guess, status-seeking of the ultra-wealthy and ultra-elite, but also the kind of disproportionate value that Americans place on going to, like, prestigious universities, for especially for, like, kind of higher-achieving students. Yeah. There, was, there was quite a bit in the documentary about the way that students who are kind of high-achieving get good grades and, you know, need to succeed on, like, standardized tests and stuff. Those kids are under a lot of pressure because the perception is if you're not going to the the best of the best colleges if you're not going to the northwesterns and the stanfords and the ivy league universities then you're not really successful then you have to kind of like settle to go to one of these other shrivelly state universities or, or whatever else it's our opinion on this podcast that that is a bunch of horse hockey mm-hmm. a college education is a college education and for basically 90 percent of what you're going to be doing there you're get you can get just as good a quality at you know state greater southwestern state tech college down the road as you can get at any one of these other universities but it's it's the name it's the branding recognition it's the ability to brag about saying oh yes i got into an ivy league university that drives so much demand and this guy rick singer saw that and he saw the inner workings of these like lower level sports athletics departments 
And he used it to create an opportunity that was based on the false premise of donating to a college with the expectation that people who made big donations to small athletics programs could have their children essentially fraudulently admitted to the college on the premise that they were athletes or that they were in some way contributing to the university when, in fact, they were not. And they were completely undeserving, and it was based entirely on bribery and and fraud. Yeah, so let's go through the colleges that were involved, because you'll understand exactly what we're talking about. And I I noticed, because one of us on this podcast went to a college that, if was on this list, would be zero surprise, no disrespect, just because of the the exact kind of profile of the college you're talking about. So let's go through. Sheridan College? Sure. I am. Yeah. Yep, a community college. So let's go to let's go through that. Here are the colleges that were implicated: Georgetown, Stanford, U at UCLA, USC, the University of San Diego. I guess the University uh, of San Diego is you know shout, shout out to a couple of friends here in in Washington. For whatever reason, the University of San Diego produces a lot of people who are like really into foreign affairs and po- public policy. There's sure. a lot of that. So I, I mean, I think there's some promise. And one thing we'll also note here is that. While there are like Ivy League universities, you'll notice a lot of Southern California institutions, a lot of people who are tied to like the rich and famous who live in like the most perfect state in the world and don't have to worry about anything because they have money. They want to go to the UCLA's and the USC's and the USD's. And like, so I, I think that's another common thing. Yeah, to, for sure. To but, well, but, but we'll get into that in a second. The, yeah, the yeah. List. Sorry. So yeah, U, UCLA, University of San Diego, Stanford and USC. Those are the California institutions officially charged or officially like implicated. Uh, Georgetown. Of course, well, that's where you live up there in the D.C. area. University of Texas mm-hmm. at Austin, another crazy one. We'll get into the, the profile of the parents here, too. Wake Forest University, which is right down the road from me, and Yale University, a.k.a. Yale. Also, the University of Pennsylvania <laughs> never officially got in trouble because they're like a real Ivy League school, and they were able to shh, 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 shh. Yeah, they've been taking bribes for, I mean, like 400 years, I think. Yep, exactly. Sorry. So, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm shush. T- well, that's what Penn, Penn is telling everyone. Shh. Don't worry yeah, about course. it. Don't talk. Don't worry about it. Okay. All of these institutions are super prestigious. For me, it seems very, and this is where I make fun of Notre Dame, and one line might make fun of, but Notre Dame could very easily be on this list because Notre Dame alumni, alumni really, really, really love the school. And when really that's the relationship between alumni and school, you want your kids to, to go there. The problem is that the people that are successful enough to have been involved in this are successful enough that their kids don't have the work ethic or obsession necessarily uh, to get in. And that that's okay. Like everybody should go to school where they get in is my sort of general opinion, but it's a status symbol for the parents and blah, blah, blah. Like it, it makes everybody proud. And you like, I want my kid to go to, where, to school where I went to school. So they call, these rich people call and they're like, well, how, how much do I have to donate for them to get in? And Yale's like, dude, like 50 million, maybe we'll let them in 50. And they're like, oh, I have like 20. They're like, not even close. Not even yeah, close. It's, it's crazy because these universities, a lot of them have just enormous, enormous endowments. And I mean, we're talking like Billions. thick, girthy, <laughs> just really powerful, uh, oh. intimidating in some ways, yeah, endowments. And so making big donations to the tune of like tens of millions of dollars sounds like, okay, this should be enough to get my child into the university. Like if I can put my name on some building somewhere on campus, that would be really great. Uh, And that's not always the case because these are the types of institutions that have so much prestige and they have so much swag in academia that they don't really need the donations that parents are are willing to offer. They, they, They can get along just fine without it because they have so many so famous so prominent alumni uh, and they have a lot of like there's a lot of loyalty from 
from a lot of these uh, institutions. I mean, you live in you live in Winston Salem. You know yeah. how much Wake Forest people sniff their own farts. I mean, the, it, it rivals yeah. Notre Dame. It's just smaller because they suck at football. Mm. But I mean, the, the the point here is a lot of these institutions do not need the donations. And so in a way it, it almost kind of protects the average student who's like sending in their application to what is already a very, very selective university yep. because it doesn't necessarily guarantee that somebody whose parents are willing to fork over $30 million is going to get in the door and take a spot. Right. So in, in some ways I think that's, that's a good thing. But what that means is that there are, there, there's a demand for other ways to get a kid into college and, that includes test taking, that includes getting good grades, but it also includes finding any other available opening that can be solved by money. Yeah. If a, if a donation straight to the university isn't going to address the problem, then maybe there's a way to kind of massage a donation into something that looks like something else. And maybe there's a way to get the kid to have a special skill or unique standout ability that the university has some vested interest in. And maybe there's a way to do that that's kind of under the radar because it's with a program or feature of the university that doesn't really get as much attention, isn't right. really well generally understood by the people outside of it. And that's where our boy Rick Singer right. identified an opportunity to propagate fraud. So what he was able to do, and we'll get into some of the details, in, in general was find sports teams that no one's really paying attention to at the college and to sneak someone in through the NCAA clearinghouse, which is where you send your SAT scores, gain admission to the college as an official recruit. And then once you're, then once you're admitted to the school, then you could be like, if go to official visits and you're in, you're in essentially then. And they, this guy found out, Rick found out that people don't really follow up after that. They're like, Oh, she's on the team. Like, mm, no. And no, oh, she left the program. Like, Oh, it doesn't really matter. But what's really weird to me is if we go back down this list, these colleges, so University of San Diego, I'm sure they're good at some stuff, but other than that, all of these schools are either like Ivy League or really fucking good at sports. That's what kind of blew my mind is that he was able to sneak people into the side door, as he called it, at universities that care about winning sports and not just football. In fact, I would say Stanford, um, football is not in its top 10 interests of sports. Like they, I would imagine that the alumni and the student body would rather win a couple other things. I don't think they care. I, they I pay attention. you're probably to right about that. I mean, okay. and... You know, the, the California schools, it, 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 there are universities who are really good at stuff like, like Notre Dame is a fencing school for sure, yeah. but fencing is not a big thing. So people outside of like the community don't really know that unless, unless you fence or went or, or an alumnus, you don't really know that. Well, the California schools are very, very good at all the sports. I think UCLA ha leads the NCAA all time in the total number of national championships. And it's like by an incredible margin. By They've won amount. everything. And, and yes. And it's because they win sports like beach volleyball. Water polo, sailing. Well, they a lot of sports that aren't really like you can't yeah. get on the Oklahoma State University sailing team. Right, they're not out there doing this sort of thing. You know, there's there's not there's not competitive gymnastics at Boise State. Well, maybe there's a Boise State. I don't know. But the point is, the the Stanford's and the UCLA's and the Southern Californias of this of, of the world. You know, USC sucks, but they're good at some kind of low-level sports that fly under the radar because they kind of have the market cornered. I mean, it's, it's part of the Southern California lifestyle, but it's also just a reflection of the fact that those sports aren't really that popular. Right. So while it's not a big, prominent, attention-grabbing, ESPN-covering thing like men's basketball or football or even women's basketball at some universities, it is... Uh, an area of focus for the university where they want to be able to say, yeah, we have, we have good sailing. You can come here and sail. And I think it's interesting to note that 
these programs don't really make money for the university. They're not bringing in revenue. So the athletics departments lean pretty heavily on the coaches and other other personnel inside the the sports program to do a lot of fundraising. So that's that's another component of this that that converges. I mean, there's the, the university wants to be good at the sports. The kids want to get into the colleges. The parents want to live vicariously through the kids and tie their family brand name to one of these elite universities. But also from the other direction, the people who are involved in these lower-level sports programs, they're not a compelling financial interest for the athletic department. Right. Stanford University does not make money off of its sailing program. And so they don't have a vested interest in trying to do a lot of like advertising and like they recruit, but it's mostly up to the coaches. And so the, the coach, in addition to having to like teach students how to sail and com- compete successfully also has to have a lot of success in bringing in donations essentially for the pro. He's got to find a way to, uh, to, to make money for the program. And the Stanford sailing coach, let me see if I, I his name is, uh, John Vandemore. He was prominently featured in the documentary. A really interesting yes. story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think his his position in the documentary, uh, John Vandemore's pr- position in the documentary was kind of tragic in a way. Sure. Because he was the guy at the point of the spear in terms of we need to make money for this sailing program. And the athletics department doesn't really, they, they want to have good sailing, but they don't really care about that in the way that they want to have like great women's basketball Stanford has yeah. elite women's basketball they do they, they, they want to have good football because that brings in like these are revenue generating sports yeah and so this guy when he is confronted with somebody like Rick Singer who is able to offer a curated donation in exchange for a spot on the sailing team the the John Vandemores of the world are kind of incentivized to say okay that sounds great I yep. get a little recruit I make a little money I look good to the athletic department. I think all our bases are covered here. Yeah, and it, it really is, I think, and, I, and I, again, I don't know every university situation, but when I hear, when I heard on the, the documentary, and I went a deep dive when I watched it a couple of years ago, when I heard that Stanford Saley team was struggling financially, and I, I could see that like the University of Texas is on this list, I'm like, that seems kind of, because like, we, we've been kind of, Defensive of and critical of rich people, kind of like talking about it at billionaires and millionaires, like I think pretty reasonably both sides of the, the, the aisle here. But the University of Texas is one of the richest organizations on the planet. They have an endowment, a cash liquefiable endowment of like $60 billion. It's significantly bigger than Harvard's. It is the biggest in human history. They have enough money to fund every sport without noticing it gone for like a century, essentially. They have yeah, that- just the cash is crazy. That is one of the things that, as, as I was watching the documentary, I mean, it, Stanford is another example of a university with a, an enormous endowment. Get this, this is really, a real fact. A really thick, kind of just, <laughs> just mesmerizing endowment. Mesmerizing. So, Chris, did you know that the Stanford, the Stanford graduate economy, if you included grad students and undergraduates, would be the fifth largest economy in the world? Are you serious? Yep. How do you know that? I read it in a book. I don't know. It was in the Wall Street Journal when they were doing, oh, Elizabeth Holmes, when I was deep diving Elizabeth Holmes. Like, Stanford grads are so important in oh. business. They are the wow. fifth largest economy in the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's just shocking. I also want to point out Stanford educated a lot of people in the Chinese Communist Party and like the People's Liberation Army. So shout out to Stanford for basically like no scruples. You, you know, China, I'm just going to say this right now. You're welcome for basically being better because of America. Also, most of the Middle East as well. Yeah. Mm, educated yeah. in the so, West. Like yeah. they're, they're not the only ones. Yeah. But so when you have a university 
that has so much prominence in like American culture. I would say it's one of a few examples of, of universities that like kind of transcend academia and they're, they're a part of an American, they're a part of American life. It has an enormous endowment. It has all the prestige in the world. But if you're looking at this from the point of view of somebody who's like in sailing and you know how kind of small the sailing community is, if you know how little incentive the the athletic department at Stanford has to kind of promote sailing because it doesn't bring in any money for the university. Right. Yep. Then you can start to wonder, like, if somebody comes along, like they did in the case of Rick Singer, and a parent says, I'd like to donate $500,000 to the sailing program. And the expectation is supposed to be that my son or daughter is a really good sailor, and he or she could have a spot on the team if this donation goes through. Rick Singer's making this promise, and the question becomes, how does $500,000, how does a one-time donation for this kind of small program make it through from the point of the spear, John Vandemore, up through the athletic department and into the university's coffers without raising any questions at, at any step of the way? Yeah. And it, it just kind of seems like... You know, Rick Singer was very good at making a good impression on people, and he was very good at networking. And he he was the type of guy who earlier on his in his career between basketball and the grift was giving presentations to people at like the local Hampton Inn ballroom. Yeah, on you can be successful too, and he was like going from airport to airport, just giving these kind of seminars. And I don't really know what the content of it was, except to say that it was like a classic. 90s 2000s style yeah you can you can be successful in sales or, or whatever Tony Robbins Wayne Dyer kind of yeah right exactly except you know he was never really that good no. at it none of those people and, are. no no they're they're really not I mean unless you actually are Wayne Dyer yeah you're not going to be you're not going to be changing any any lives but he was the type of guy who took that sort of approach seriously and what that does is makes people very very good at networking sure so yeah. when five hundred thousand dollars goes into this small program at this elite university it's both small enough to not really stand out among all the other donations that are coming into the university and large enough to be significant to the sailing program because the sailing program needs to fundraise yep and so everybody kind of benefits from this situation the coach benefits because he suddenly looks like he's a good fundraiser. The university benefits because they don't really have to ask questions because that's not really like a big enough donation to catch anybody's attention. No. The athletics department benefits because they don't have to wonder what's going on with the sailing program and suddenly their coach looks like a high performer. And most importantly in the grift, the parents benefit because their kid is now guaranteed a spot at Stanford University for having done something that he or she, for allegedly having done something that he or she has never actually experienced in their lives. No. That's the that's the real crux of the grift is that, we, have, we I don't think we've explicitly said, Rick Singer was approaching athletics departments to make promises for people for donations in yep. exchange for spots on the team as like recruits. But these students, these high school children, had never done the sport to which ever. they were being recruited yes. ever in their entire lives. So now that we've broken down the the... The situation from the university perspective, let's get into the fraud. So Rick Singer, he has connections. Coaches, they all know each other. There are only like, you think that, the, you think that Nick Saban doesn't know all the, like they know each other. There's only like a hundred of them. They, and they all had to coach with each other, against each other, play with each other coming up. Like mm -hmm. they all know each other. Every single sport is like this all over the world because there's not that many of them. 
And so they, he had these relationships with people that were better coaches than him, who kind of went up through the ranks. You see people at conferences and whatever, and he's really good at talking to coaches because coaches love coaching. They love it more than anything in the world. So yes, it's they do. very relatable. Like a, a ball coach is a ball coach. doesn't matter what kind, right? So he's able to find these guys and gals, and he gets them, you know, he networks with them and, and whatnot, and he's able to get these, these kids into college by offering donations to the athletic department. However, there is another element to the fraud that I find is really the human interest part of this, because the universities are, you can just think of them as like billionaire corporations, which is what they are. But they are. the interesting thing to me is the relationship between the parents and the kids, because that's where the true tragedy kind of comes in, because all of these parents really want their kids to get into university. The, the the famous one, the USC with the, the actors Felicity Huffman and um, something Gacy, William Gacy, William H. Macy, not Gacy, William <laughs> not, H. Macy, not, not, the, not John Wayne Gacy, William H. Macy. The, with Macy and Huffman, like that, everybody knew about that. It's really kind of tragic that they wanted it this bad that they put their kid in this situation and the kids didn't know what the fuck was happening. And you find like the recorded phone calls and things of like, no, they're not going to be good at school. They're not going to get in. Like t the Texas situation makes me the most sad. If you don't know about Texas, there are a couple state schools that are kind of like this, but I think Texas and I think Georgia are probably the most aggressive where it is near impossible to get into Texas if you're from Texas or Georgia if you're from Georgia. It's, I thought I read a stat when I was in school where it was far more likely with a specific resume that you'd get into an Ivy League school than you'd get into Texas. Like, it's insane. They want the best Texans, and Texans love the University of Texas. It's like... They really do. It's, they like with, it more... With the exception of, like, the, the weird psychopathic family that comprises Texas A&M. Sure. They love the University they of Texas. They love and, it. And it, it is elite. I mean, it's way easier to get into the state university system. I, and, and, and I think we're just mostly talking about the flagship system. At their, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The flagship Austin. institution Austin. at Austin. But it's way easier to get into that particular institution if you're from outside of Texas, Correct. which it kind of, in some ways, it defeats the purpose of the state university system. But I there agree. are so many parts of the university system in, uh, in the UT system that there are other options for students. Yeah. It's not like, right. like, oh, well, if I can't get into Texas, I can't go to college. No, there are probably 50 colleges inside like the Dallas Fort Worth area alone. Yes, sure. Exactly. But you can see, you know, my, we're four generations deep at Austin. My daddy owns my daddy's granddaddy's business. And like, we had the best time of our lives at Austin. You're going to Austin. Like, well, no, you're not. So that, like that kind of stuff really makes it the most sad. So what they would do is these parents would like stage photo shoots of their kid in like a boat pretending to row in a swimming pool, the water polo one is the best example. And I forget exactly the kid who was doing water polo, but I remember the image was so preposterous. It made the kid look like they were essentially, if what they were doing was possible, they were jumping out of the water to the point where they, their entire upper body was out and they were throwing the ball, which would require leg and ab strength that I'm not sure humanity possesses. No, like I it's mean, not possible. You could, be, you could be standing on the bottom of the pool yeah. and get that. But you cannot be swimming, and I, 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 so I love watching Olympic water polo. Sure, apparently those guys just like beat the hell out of each other under the water because oh, you yeah. can't see it. Love that. So it's a really intense sport. You can't get that kind of elevation. No, uh, the guy that you're thinking of is a guy named David Sloan. So according to uh, according to Business in, or according to Insider, David Sloan is the founder and chief executive for a drinking water and wastewater systems business in L.A. Mm. So he, he wants his kid to play at USC. 
Yes. So the allegations that he faced were that David Sloan paid Rick Singer $250,000. And I, and I should say at this point, one, one thing we haven't explained is that Rick Singer isn't just doing this as like a guy at, out of the goodness oh, yeah. of his heart. No. He's offering a particular kind of coaching service. So in basketball and this kind of change your lifestyle seminar thing didn't work out. Uh, he founded two companies that are, that were eventually implicated in this scheme that were designed to coach students on how to like get into elite universities. And that, so that includes test preparation, that includes resume building, that includes AP tutoring, that includes all kinds of services that, that say, without my services, your kid's not going to get into this college because your students' scores are not good enough on their grades. Your students' testing is not proficient enough to get into these elite universities. And so he said his companies that were called Key Worldwide Foundation and the Edge College and Career Network, which he also referred to as the key, these two institutions offered services to parents right. wherein they would get their kid all of the tools they need to be competitive and, and get into these elite colleges. And so when people are making donations, they're making donations to his his kind of fake, or they're, they're real companies. They're making donations to his companies that eventually would make their way from the company to the university. And the exchange would be that the university offers a, a position on the athletic team. Yep in exchange for the donation to the institution. So it's, it, it really is like a, like a money laundering thing. Yep, 100%. But, so in, in the specific example of David Sloan, he paid Rick Singer through the company $250,000 to have his son admitted to USC as a water polo recruit. And man, it, it's, it's unbelievable. The affidavit said Sloan bought water polo gear on Amazon <laughs> to stage this yeah. photo shoot with his kid. Yep. He said he purchased a ball and cap, so like one of, like one of the swimming caps, and then like yep. a water polo ball. And in, in the photo, it's like a brand new ball. I mean, like clearly has not been handled by human hands. <laughs> yeah. He bought this ball and cap off Amazon for a photo shoot in June 2017, and of course, this kid didn't play water polo. The no. school that he went to, the the high school that he went to in California, did not have a water polo team. <laughs> so he at at no juncture did this child ever do this. So. Almost all the kids didn't know it, and all of the kids, like, they didn't know that they were the subject of a grift. They thought, like, oh, yeah, I'm getting into this college or whatever. But, I mean, some of them had to know. But they're still kids. Yeah. And they're they're trying to be successful, and if a parent says, hey, you need to do this thing, don't worry about it, and your tutor's going to help you get into college, of course they're going to go along with that because they largely want to be a part of the system too where they can say oh yes i went to the elite blah 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 now yeah. why this kid wanted to go to usc is beyond me well, but the point know, remains we, that people are willing to do ridiculous and hilarious things to we know get their kids one kid universities. that didn't want to go to college and that is the daughter of actress and actor felicity huffman and william h macy and i actually have a clip from ricky gervais hosting the golden globes making fun of them let's let's play it right now um but you all look lovely, all dolled up. You came here in your limos. I came here in a limo tonight, and the license plate was made by Felicity Huffman. So, no. Shush. It's her, it's her daughter I feel sorry for, okay? That must be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to her. And her dad was in Wild Hogs. So... <laughs> uh, that's pretty yeah. good. Tom Hanks was so offended. I didn't share your screen. If you ever want to watch that, he is so offended at his friend Felicity Huffman being made fun of. And I think he nailed that joke, though. That's such a great joke. Uh, William really H. Macy uh, nailed it in Shameless. Great performance. Great show. 10 out of 10. I believe you. 
Yeah, I mean, one day. He's one of those ones you got to like, really want and get into, and there's just so many shows. So, it really um, is. Oh, and, and, and this is, the, the just to be clear, the daughter of Felicity Huffman is Olivia Jade, right? I think so. They have two. I think there's Sophia, who wants to be an actress, and I think that there's Olivia Jade as well. Let's let's. Yeah, let's Olivia Jade was a was an example of like a YouTube kind of lifestyle influencer for like teens. So this is a kid who was like in high school, and one of the weird things about this documentary, and I and I should say this is like a weird mix of a documentary. So there's like actual footage of actual people and a dramatic remake. It has the guy the guy who plays Rick Singer in the dramatic in the dramatizations is the doctor from Stranger Things. Okay, so this was not Felicity Huffman's daughter. This is Lori Laughlin's daughter. Lori Laughlin's daughter yes, is Olivia so. Jade. Okay, yes. so Lori Laughlin is the star of this like kind of nostalgia, pure, uh, nice, you know, American white bread picket fence type of like feel good show is implicated in this because her daughter, who is an influencer, who famously, through like through footage of her actual show, social media accounts that they include in the documentary, hated school, hated didn't it. want to do it, didn't like reading, didn't like doing homework, absolutely didn't want to be there. Suddenly, she and her sister are stoked to be going to the University of Southern California. Yep, absolutely. USC is so hard to get into. They're very selective because, I don't know, I guess they only have one admissions counselor or something. It's a mm. dysfunctional university, and it's not <coughs> worth your time. Yeah, the rivalry but is over. It has been a rivalry in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> they they were they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to USC, and they're wearing USC gear, and they're making all these announcements on their social media page. And meanwhile, they hate school. Like, they hate it. Well, and don't she's, want to do this. The thing that's really gut-wrenching is that she is successful yeah, they without didn't, they didn't college. to go to USC. She it's has not a situation millions where she, of followers and makeup lines and endorsements oh, and all she, kinds of stuff. And it wasn't a situation where she didn't. She's not getting in because she's a doofus. Like she works, she's got the work ethic. She's incredibly intelligent. What are you doing? Like she wants to do this. Like, well, we go to USC. My friends, whatever reason the parents are projecting their bullshit onto their kid. Their kid is successful, probably with help from mom and dad, but like independent of going to college. This college actually legitimately would get in the way. Other than yeah, meeting I people that can fund things, it would get in the way. Yeah, I've been, I've been talking smack this whole time, and I will continue to do so. But I think it's genuinely probably true that going to USC only would have served to dilute the brand that this, this child of this celebrity yeah. had cr cultivated. No question. And kind of get in the way of the other type of stuff that was going on. So it's it's a very weird thing. And that's where I mentioned, and, and you've hinted at this too, like there's a lot of pressure on these kids, and there's a lot of disconnect, I think, sometimes among the ultra-wealthy and the ultra-elite. And seeing their kids as like props yeah. or status symbols or no some way to kind of bolster the family brand and, and feel good about themselves through their kid getting into a university. Like in some cases of like celebrities, I don't know if they went to these institutions or what. Uh, it's sometimes there there's like the fierce loyalty of having gone to like, well, we're a Yale family and you'll be going to Yale no matter what. Right. Um, uh, so some, sometimes that's true, but other times it's like, well, you know, I want my kid to get into an elite university because that's what elite people do. So as of 2021, uh, the Laughlin daughters were allowed to stay at USC, which is another hilarious part of this because Olivia Jade is exactly the kind of person that a good guidance counselor at USC would be like, I don't give a shit what her grades are. Let her in. She's successful. Mm -hmm. She's Will Ferrell went here. Let her in. Like that's the kind of stuff that you would do. At a, I mean, it's a private school where you have standards. Like some people have other things in their resume that should outweigh their other stuff. And that's a different conversation for, for college admissions. But I mean, and not just the Laughlin's kind of forcing their daughters to get into this where there's like proof that they didn't want to go to college, especially the, the successful one, Olivia Jade. So 
as part of the fraud, once the FBI figures this out, they're bugging things. They're getting people to admit to stuff. Uh, Rick Singer figured out, like, once it was, the jig was up, he was going to snitch on a lot of people, which was, duh. Like, he's the fraudster guy. What do you think he's going to, oh, yeah. like, no snitches get snitched? Like, no, bitch, pay me my money. So he, they start bugging people, and these parents are, like, shitting on their kids on the phone, and they're like, well, what are we going to do? So then they, they get this other guy who helps them fake tests. This guy's the smartest one in the room. Well, I don't know about that. This guy's name is Mark Riddell. Yeah. Uh, Riddell, Riddle. I think it's pronounced Riddell. It's R-I-D-D-E-L-L. Mark Riddell. Uh, he was like, he was a guy who used to work for IMG Academy. And if, if you don't know what that is, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a high school academy for like elite athletes who are getting recruited into like big time, big time college programs. If you play sports at IMG, you, the only reason you're not pro is because it's not legal. Like you are going pro probably. Yeah, that's or we'll I, have I a mean, shot. It's it's one of like two or three high schools in America that are designed to get athlete, really, really extremely talented athletic kids into the hands of elite college programs. And they are like they would beat many, many division two like football teams and baseball teams. They are preposterously good. Yeah. So this guy Mark Riddell worked there and he was kind of doing the academic preparation angle uh, of preparing these kids to, to go right. to college. And <laughs> the, the, the need for the kids to get into the universities is, is the driver here, obviously. But in order to successfully like get over the hump, there are still some standards in place. So like the Stanford's and the Yale's like they still, you still got to get a certain score on your SAT or your ACT. Um, USC, you have to get above a 12 on the ACT, which <laughs> I, for them, they consider that to be a really high standard. Uh, but the rest is like, you got to get in the thirties on the ACT. You got to get above like a 1500 on the SAT. And so when these kids like, okay, this kid can basically float in the middle of the air during water polo. We've seen photograph evidence of that. Right. But can he take a test? Well, the answer doesn't necessarily have to be yes because they had this very funny way of getting around that, and the key player in here was Mark Riddell. So what would happen was students would get a tour of the college. They would go on a recruiting visit to go meet with the athletic director and meet with the coach and go tour the campus and all this stuff. And while they were on that tour, Rick Singer would arrange a one-on-one -on -one proctored SAT or ACT. And the student would go in and they would take what was basically a fake version of that. They would fill in like a different bubble sheet and they would give their best answers. And this guy, Mark Riddell, was the proctor of those tests. And what he would do was take their exam and then once they leave the room, he would actually take the exam. He would <laughs> fill in the right answers to get the right score and as somebody who's in the test prep industry, he knows exactly how to get a target score. So it's not like, oh, my God, we have a spate of students who are getting perfect SATs every single time. We have a spate of students who have never missed a question on the ACT. How is this possible? He could disguise it in a way that makes it seem like a realistic but impressive achievement. Yeah. And so they would just have like a grown man take this test and send it in. And the kids get the ACT requirements that they need. And they were getting recruited by the athletics program. So it's a shoe-in. And the only question is, what is the dollar value? What What's the price you're willing to pay to sacrifice your ethics? And in this case, this guy's case, it was like $10,000 a test. So these yep. parents would donate like $70,000 to Rick, to Rick Singer's company, to pay for the test scores that their students need. And old Mark would take the exam and get 10000 bucks of it. The rest of the money would go to Rick Singer, go in his pocket, and the kids would get into college and nobody was any the wiser. So obviously, uh, 
very lucrative method of cheating here. But, of course, that constitutes fraud. $200,000 for 27 exams. He was sentenced to four months in federal prison, which... That's adequate. I think it might be actually a little heavy. I mean, like cheating I think, on test. I think he should have been made to proctor all of the uh, exams that prisoners like taking classes and stuff. We should, are. Like, that is a good point. We are terribly uncreative at punishing people. That would be so much worse. And I but agree. like not I think the interpretation not cruel. of cruel and unusual is a little bit too broad. And I think we need to be a little bit funnier with the way we punish people. He should be made like this. to proctor the SAT for the rest of his life. And oh, have a job. absolutely. Punish Give him a job, crime. but make him proctor. Like that's their shitty job. And you make, make him proctor with grand. like a really annoying like supervisor proctor, like a real <sighs> stickler for the job. Yes. Because obviously he can't pr- be trusted to proctor on his own anymore. No, they can't have him in there because the SAT and the ACT are so important. They, they, they're so, they're such important examinations. So this guy, that was the other part of this. That, some of this is fakeable, like, oh, the water polo team, no one's going to pay attention. True. Until they are and they get caught because other some universities were pulling this off just fine. And then snitches came out and they got caught and nobody had any idea. Some universities can pull strings behind the curtain like Penn and be like, nothing to see here. Fuckers go away. And that works out just fine for them. But some universities, I think Yale was how they got caught. Right. Like and because yep. Yale was actually they do pay attention to stuff every now and then. And they got caught. And the FBI probably has connections up there in Connecticut. And the Yale's like, well, here's an easy win. Yeah. So. We found out through actual... So the, the the documentary sets up an interesting premise, which is that all the dialogue that's in the dramatizations is based on actual recorded conversations. Right. And early on in the documentary, you kind of wonder, like, how the hell are they getting these recordings? Yeah. Well, you find out that, Nick, you're exactly right, a man named Rudy Meredith, turns out, is a soccer coach at Yale and a part-time canary because that guy sang like a bird. Yep. He was actually arrested on a completely unrelated securities fraud charge. And when faced with that charge, he said, okay, well, I've got some information about something that might be of interest to you, and I'd like to share it with you if I can avoid prison time. So he absolutely spilled the beans. He didn't, he didn't spill the beans so much as he showered the FBI with beans aggressively in order to get out of jail time. And so... The FBI confronted Singer with, I, I think they, they arrested him in like a hotel room or something. Mm-hmm. And like a conference center also, or something. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. it was like a very weird, there's a, there's a very bizarre scene where this like, the documentary sets it up in such a funny way. Somebody who's like an FBI agent that you know from the beginning uh, eventually shows up. They were doing like cutaway scenes to this yeah. person. Like It was a pretty creative to movie, to be honest. It was a good movie. Yeah, it wasn't bad. But then this agent and someone from the IRS shows up to uh, confront Singer, and they tell him we know everything because so and so, like old Rudy Meredith, gave up the gave up the ghost, and so in exchange for more information and working for the FBI, he was able to kind of commute some of his sentence or commute some of his crimes, I guess. And the thing about Rick Singer, this, so this is I, I want to discuss his character a little bit before we get into like the conclusion of the, yeah, uh, of yeah, the real yeah. Griff story. He was driven because he wanted to be important to athletes he wanted to be the type of guy that someone would look back and say oh yeah i owe everything to rick singer i would never have made it in my career if it wasn't for rick singer i would never Very have made big. it to this university i would never have been successful if it wasn't for rick singer that's he a kind of a coach yeah as we almost all are by a feeling of importance and so when it comes to the fbi thing his feeling of importance came from servicing the elite elites and getting kids into colleges where he was making promises that they otherwise couldn't do. If it wasn't for him, he couldn't do it. And then the FBI confronts him and says, well, we know you've been breaking the shit out of the law. And he says, okay, well, now he can get his feeling of importance by 
cooperating with the FBI and participating in an extensive sting process wherein he was wearing a wire and agreed to phone taps so that he could record people in the act. And he did that with apparently no reservations at all. And he did it exceedingly well. Um, Yes. So this is where we're going to start to break down our categories and and give our ranking here in a minute. So the categories, again, are smart, successful, lucky, even evil and and cunning. So he was able to do this for the FBI and he didn't no scruples, which I kind of like, duh, like what you're going to go to prison for the CEO of a of a vineyard. No, like get these people, first of all. Secondly, the thing that I find the most interesting was just what these parents said about their kids and the wiretaps, like how open all of them were. I was watching this like these people, I thought for sure all CEOs were committing fraud. Like these idiots have no, I don't fucking talk on phones, dude, ever. Don't ever talk on phones. It's amazing to me. And like even even some of the recorded conversations that show up in the documentary, some people are like, I would rather meet with you in person to talk about this over a mm-hmm. coffee than over the phone. And then they would meet in person and sing like a lark there too yep. because they thought they could be trusted because they're like, oh, well, the FBI surely will stop at phone tapping. Like, no, he was wearing a wire. Yeah. And then some people just didn't even, it, it didn't seem to occur to them that what they were doing and speaking about in explicit terms as in like you donated money to me under the false premises that your child was a good water poloer and that gave your child entry into USC which otherwise would not have been possible it's it's unbelievable it's shocking how brazen people can be there's a there's a quotation from the movie there this uh this guy who uh, I I can't remember if the guy that, that gave this. So it was they, were, they had several people giving talking heads, and some of them were academic counselors, and some of them yeah. were test prep experts. They had someone from the FBI there. I can't remember which guy this was, but he said, "White collar defendants have almost no filter over the phone." <laughs> he said, "It's just it's just shocking how Rick Singer, this trusted guy, would call people up, re-explain the grift that they had been perpetrating for months, years in some cases." And people say, oh, yeah, no, that sounds exact. Yeah, I, I am committing fraud, and I, I, I'm worried that it's going to get out. But if you don't say anything, I won't say anything, and nobody will know. And it's just, it's so funny. There's another, there, uh, one more quick note before we fun, do our final breakdown here. Rick Singer also went on a reality TV show to talk oh, about this. So, to like, right. kind of like, oh, yeah, insider look at the life of a college recruit into a low-level yeah, program. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing I've noticed People running a grift love to get their ass on a reality TV show. Those people love being on a camera. And I think it's just because they want to feel important. And when they can get away with something, it's a, we say this time and time again, we say it with the cheaters. We say it with Firefest boy. We say it with everybody who commits crimes like this. They always reach for more once they get a lot. Yeah, and so the other thing is like the, the idea of being on TV and wanting credit, um, that's something we know about murderers and serial killers and like serial rapists and stuff is they will, one of the, like maybe the biggest red flag when looking for someone is inserting yourself into the investigation pretending to be helpful. Truly, it, it yeah. really is. And you know, I, I, there's, a, there's an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where 
one of the Great crimes is, is committed by this guy who's like very, very clever. And he's very arrogant the entire time. And they, they finally realize that uh, the only way to get him to confess is to make him think like he just got lucky. Yep. Because his worst fear is thinking that his success was an accident and it wasn't like this brilliant mastermind plan. Like they want to show how good they are at doing right. whatever. And, that, right. and that's why Rick Singer had no problems just completely ratting everybody out. He had no problems cheating the shit out of a bunch of people. He had no problems taking advantage of a system where children were vulnerable and the ultra wealthy were playing by completely different rules and huge universities with their fat endowments didn't need to have any real scruples here. Uh, I, I think it was a pretty remarkable little setup at the end of the day. And I, I'm excited to break this guy's metrics down. Yeah, me too. Um, so there are a couple people we could have done scores for the whole, like, cause there are three parties, right? Universities, parents and Rick, but we're going to do Rick because he's the guy that did all of this. So let's start with category number one, smart for me, I'll be, I thought about this for like an hour almost, like, you know, not this specific category, but there's the in general episode and, and what I would do here. I think he's fucking smart. I think he was smarter than Elizabeth Holmes. I think he was smarter than Billy McFarlane because what he was able to do, think about the grand, what he actually pulled off was he found a side door into mega elite institutions that no one would pay attention to. He siphoned the most vulnerable people at those institutions, these poor coaches that don't make any money and don't have any donations and no one cares about their thing under like in the shadow of the greatest football team ever at USC and the greatest whatever Stanford, like no one, he found the people that are weak and poor. He gave them money. He made everybody shut up and he did it coast to coast and he did it for years. Like this was a way to make money. Everybody got what they want. He became well-connected. Like I actually think he's like a nine. Like this is a very smart scheme. It is small scale enough that nobody would notice. Like to know how much to donate so that the Stanford coach, the sailing coach would get a pat on the back, but not raise eyebrows. Like this dude is smart. Yeah, he, he understands the market forces at play here. Certainly. Right. I am going to go with a different score. I'm going to give him a six. And six. the reason for that is I think he banked a lot on people not really caring about the problem here and <laughs> yeah, not knowing. True. So he's like, well, nobody's going to know about it. And if they do, they're not going to do anything about it. But the problem is he's dealing with other cowards. I mean, over 50 people were charged with this for basically like not having their kid, I don't know, work hard and see if they could earn their way into an institution or being willing to accept if their kid can't get into a quote unquote prestigious university. I think Dealing with people like that, you should be aware that they are absolutely cowards. And second, he, I, I think it was less his intelligence and his aptitude that got him where he was and more his persistence and willingness to be exploitative. So he understood yeah. how, to, how to exploit, but the reason these things are illegal in the first place is because everybody can figure, like there's a reason that mail fraud is illegal because everybody realizes like, oh, if I just write the same return address as the mailing address, then they have to return it to the place that they, <laughs> that I put on the mailing address and then I don't have to pay for postage. Like there's a reason that's illegal because any moron can figure it out. So while I think you have a, a good point about him knowing the market rates for the donations and stuff, I think he was... He was smart enough to get by, but I don't know that he was that smart. Sure. Fair enough. Well, we agree to disagree. Category disagree? number two, uh, successful. Um, I'm going like a four. I, I, so 25 million is a lot over 10 years. I think he could have got more. I think he could have hit it better. And I think he could have not got caught. <laughs> I think you're like this, probably right. Well, he, he did get a little unlucky, which we'll get to in a, in a second here. Yeah. But I, I think, so here's an article from, uh, this is PBS from January of 2023. 
he was sentenced to three and a half years in prison. Yeah. Uh, he's he's 62 now, probably 63, I guess, at the time of this. I don't know. He's the uh, he got the longest sentence handed down in in the entire scandal. So he did get caught, and he did deal with people who were pretty unscrupulous. And he himself had absolutely no scruples. I mean, we talked about how he turned on a dime. He's like, oh yeah, now suddenly I'll just rat everybody out if it means lowering my sentence. So he was successful in so far as he got away with this for a long time and he was really persistent and he networked his ass off. So he worked really hard and he kind of got the results that you would expect. I'm going to, I'm going to give him another six on this. Another six. Yeah. I, for me, I just think that he could have got, he could have not got caught. I think he could have probably bargained for not a felony. And I, I think that, I think that sounds crazy, but I genuinely believe without like they have him on this one thing at, at Yale, but that he's like, yeah, there are like dozens of people and I'm literally not going to talk about it until you make this a misdemeanor or something mm-hmm. like, or time served. I think he could have played hardball. I, I don't think that, I think that he was kind of, yeah, I, I, a little bit short-sighted is, is why I'm giving him that one. Okay. So that's fair. That's fair. Lucky. I would say, I don't know, man. I think there wasn't much luck involved here. People turning a blind eye. I think that, and who knows what Stanford and USC and Texas actually knew and how little they, they cared. That's totally possible too. Like they don't, what do they care if they even figure it out? Like the, the PR is far worse than the actual donation. So, I mean, I don't, who knows? I, I would say lucky. I would say like a, like a three. He didn't really get lucky. He may have got even unlucky. Yeah, I, I think, I think I'm going to go with a five here because he got lucky that he was able to get so many people to latch onto this. Like it's, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing that there was like this unexplored fraud market that, yeah, that's true. Parents wanted. And he also is getting kind of lucky to be doing this in a time when like university, Costs are going through the roof. It's more selective than ever. It's harder to get into elite universities than ever. Uh, he did get lucky, but that's offset completely by the fact that Rudy Meredith is such a weenie and yep. just rat it. Like he, I don't think he would have gotten caught for years if it, if it hadn't been for somebody else getting arrested on completely unrelated securities fraud. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the five, and you you want to give him a three? I would give him a three. I think that um, most of it was just his doing, and he got a little unlucky. So yeah, three. All right. Um, next category is evil, bad intentions. I'm going a one, maybe a point five. Uh, the worst victims here are uh, the kids of the parents who now know that their parents aren't impressed by them, which they mm-hmm. probably knew already. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they did. The kids have to suffer. Uh, and and his his malintention, I think, here is not that he wanted to. I think it's less that he wanted to deceive people and more that he wanted to feel important. He wanted to feel like a key player. So everybody's motivated by that, I think. Basically, everybody wants to feel important in some way to some group of people for some reason or another. So in that way, I don't think he's, he's especially unique. But I also think that anyone who's willing to just like with no hesitation completely turn on everybody that they've been working with in this way has no backbone. That's like, that's not the evil that's like, I wish harm. That's the yeah. evil. That's like if I saw someone getting killed on the street and I had other things to do, I would not bother. I like I, yeah, I wouldn't intervene at all. The people he screwed were like they're millionaires, and they're, I don't feel bad. Yeah, so that's that, that's another that's a that's a good point. I mean, like, his yeah. victims were not really, and like I said, I I, I, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but according to the documentary, Stanford kept the donations. Duh, like they, they kept them. They they made over seven hundred and seventy thousand dollars from all of this, and the university like. They, they, they're so full of shit. They're like, oh yeah, that money's been donated to something, something indigenous causes or blah, blah, blah. They, they, they give some DEI department approved 
statement mm-hmm. about where the money went. There's no transparency at all because it's a private university. Absolutely full of shit on that front. I agree. And so Allegedly. they actually, they're like, they're the alleged victim because they were being defrauded by a guy who was like taking an athletics department spot or whatever. They don't give a shit about the sailing program. No. They don't care at all because they get all that money. And now yeah. their coach was sentenced to one day in prison. So they can they fired him. He works somewhere else now. He's yep. like a private sailing instructor. So they don't really have any... No, the universities are the darkest no people them. here. They're the darkest people. And the, I just don't think there's any way they didn't know this side door existed. They're just... Yeah. Wake Forest and Georgetown are not... They Like Stanford's got a... Like a I don't know how, what their undergrad population is. It's not small. It's not big. Wake is tiny. There's yeah. no chance people didn't know like this is a bullshit women's soccer player or whatever. There's no Absolutely. Way. So I'm, okay. I'm going to give him a three because he's got a vacuum where his conscience should be in terms of uh, sticking with like utterly, sure. utterly without principle. I mean, the man is a jellyfish. No question. Uh, Cunning. I thought he was a great liar and manipulator of people and knew how to manipulate all of them, uh, even the FBI. I think that this is a psychological thing for him and it was more about thrills than money. I think I'm going to go pretty high here for Cunning. I'm going to give him, I think, a seven. Yeah, but you're going to give him a seven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him an eight because he yeah. was really persistent and uh, you gotta you gotta credit that, I guess. And then by credit, I don't mean uh, that's a boon to his character. What I mean is, I want to account for all of his persistence and willingness. He's like uh, he's like water. You know, they say like water finds a way. Like if there's water sure. in a system, it's gonna leak. It's gonna get into the cracks. Cracks. It's gonna find a way out of the system. This dude is the equivalent of water because he's just gonna push and push and push until he gets what he wants, regardless of whether it's ethical or, or scrupulous or safe or not. So I think he's. Uh, Quite the little, quite the little fraudster here. So let's let's tally up the scores here. Uh, so I give him my twenty-four on the index, and I don't have all of the index rankings right in front of me. I guess I could have done that, but I know that Elizabeth Holmes. We had was a way in, to prepare for this. Yeah, I, Elizabeth Holmes was in the mid to upper thirties for both of us. She is by far the darkest person. Billy yep. McFarlane, I think, was low thirties, and uh, Rudy was mid to low thirties as well. They were both smarter, and uh, obviously Elizabeth Holmes was evil and just completely Truly. devoid of a person, like a soul. But this guy, I think, this might be the lowest ranking dude we do on this because it is. We heard the Ricky Gervais joke, like it was objectively funny. Every Everybody wins in PR except for like a handful of, of people and like a couple schools that everybody hates already anyway. Everybody wins. Like the FBI gets this perfect thing. Look, we're holding rich white people and rich white institutions. We're holding their feet to the fire. And this is not going to happen in our country. Yeah, their feet are being held to the fire from about 40 yards away. But they're still <laughs> being held to the fire. Sure. And the, I think the only real actual person who lost out of this was uh, John Vandemore. No Stanford question. That guy got screwed. Yeah. But I, yeah, yeah, so you give him a 24, I gave him a 28. It's, look, or did I, did I give him a 28? Yeah, yeah, I gave him a 28. I, I, I did, I mean, I, you went to math school. I did, I how did you get into, how did you get into Notre Dame? Here. Are you, what's, were you on the fencing team? Oh my God. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a good enough fencer to get into that. See, I had to do it the old fashioned way by being a diversity hire. By being correct. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're probably right that he's on the lower end of the uh, of the fraudster scale here because the the consequences aren't that high. His his evil his low evil score I think is the Brought thing that down. really sets him apart. And he wasn't like he wasn't that lucky. I mean he 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 earned all of the three and a half years that he got in prison. 
I agree. And I, I think that, yeah, I don't think he was. And some of the other fraudsters that we've done, like Billy McFarlane and Elizabeth Holmes and even Rudy, they get away with this because like the right person isn't in the room at the right time or like just a bad, a bad bounce or whatever. Like the, the Securities and Exchange Commission doesn't pay attention on the right day. Like they, they, a lot of these people get incredibly lucky at the right moment. He didn't do it. He, everything was just kind of executed correctly and he found people that would shut up and pay stuff and all of that. But So that's going to do it. Uh, for this episode, book club Thursday, book club on Thursday. We're gonna first four chapters. We start on Thursday, three weeks, four chapters a week, and you can do it. That's right. Um, Rick Singer, great fraudster, but not that scary of a fraudster. What a guy, sing yeah. like a bird too. Singer. <laughs> <laughs>